And this is the time of year when quail season started. And so I knew that when quail, when it started getting cool and getting into November, quail season going to start. We're going to spend a lot of days, a lot of hours together out in the field hunting them birds. And I was thinking about that yesterday, and, and I think the reason I was reminiscing so much is because yesterday was my dad's birthday. Now, many of you know, since I've been here as your pastor, I've lost, or don't lost, but my mother and father both have gone on to glory. Mom, five years ago next month. Dad, four years ago next month. Two days apart. And, and as I was thinking about my folks and about the holidays and about Dad, uh, something come to my mind with my father. And I was blessed to have a Christian father, a very godly man. Now, he wasn't always that way. He didn't, he didn't come to know the Lord till I was about eight years old. And I saw a change take place in my father's life as an eight-year-old child that I remember to this day. I remember when I, uh, and, and another fond memory I have of Dad, uh, many times I'd get off, off shift at the fire station at the firehouse and I'd go by Mom and Dad's house on my way home. And I'd go there, drink a cup of coffee with Mom and Dad. I'd get there about 10 after 7. Our shift ended about 7 o'clock. So I'd get there about 10 after 7 walk in the door. One of my fondest memories is walking to the door, seeing my dad sitting in his recliner with a cup of coffee on the table and his Bible open. Now, my dad had a lot of verses that he was partial to. The verse I'm going to use this morning was probably his favorite in the New Testament. It's one of my favorites as well. Now, if you mark in your Bible where a preacher has preached from a passage, you're going to see my name there because I, I'm sure... Honestly, I can't remember, and I apologize. My memory lasts about two days, and then it's gone. Then I have to reminisce to remember, you know. Uh, but I'm sure I've preached from this passage since I've been here. But I want you to, to know uh, today, folks, understand what led me to this passage is what I've just been telling you. And I want to use this passage to talk uh, for just a few moments this morning about what, in my opinion, is the sweetest word in all the Bible. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Father, today, as we look at this uh, powerful and deep past of Scripture, I pray you'll call to my mind what you've showed me, what over the years I have studied. And Father, I, I pray that I'll be very clear this morning on the topic at hand. I pray that each one of us will not walk out of this building today without knowing that we have experienced, that we have been given, that we are saved because of grace, because of what Jesus has done. In His name, Amen. 
Now, what I call the sweetest word of the Bible is contained here in this passage that I read. It's actually a word that's used over 150 times in the New Testament. Now, strange enough, even though it's used that many times, Jesus never spoke this word. You say, well, that is kind of strange, preacher. Well, the reason Jesus never used this word is because He didn't have to. He was the walking definition of this word. This word was not spoken by His lips. It was seen as life. It may never have been used in the sermons and the teachings, uh, in His teachings, but friend, it was showed and manifested in the way He lived His life day to day. Now, the word that to me is the sweetest word in all the Bible is the word grace. Grace. Now let me say this. If God had a dictionary, I believe beside the word grace would be a one word definition. You know what that word would be? Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I believe if God had a favorite word, it would be the word grace. Now Peter calls God in 1 Peter 5.10 the God of all grace. Now listen to me folks. I want to tell you, I don't know of a word that's more important to the church than the word grace. You take away grace out, out of the gospel, you take away grace, every church would have to shut the doors. If you do away with grace, every preacher would be out of a job. Because, friend, there's only one gospel to preach. And it's called in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the gospel of the grace of God. Grace, friend, that's the heart of the gospel. Without grace, the gospel's dead. Grace is the vocabulary of the gospel. Without grace, the gospel would be mute. Grace, in my opinion, is the music of the gospel. Without grace, the gospel would be silent. Now let me explain to you what I mean by grace. It is the favor that's freely and fully given to each of us from God, even though we don't deserve it. Even though we can never earn it. I want to tell you why to me grace is the sweetest word in the Bible. Number one. Look at verse 11. It tells us very plain. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Grace, folks, the reason it's the sweetest word in the Bible to me, grace redeems us from the penalty of sin. Now, Paul makes it very clear here in this passage. Now, this morning, I want to tell you something. I have, uh, for everybody, I, I've got some bad news for you. I've got some worse news. I've got some good news, but i got the best news. You ready? Let me give you the bad news. The bad news is, every one of us, we are sinners that need a Savior. That's bad news. The worst news is, we cannot save ourselves. It's impossible. But the good news is, God does not expect us to do anything for this salvation. Because of the best news. And the best news is, we don't do anything for our salvation because Jesus Christ has done it all. And what we do is accept what He has done. We accept it by faith. Friend, that's grace. That's grace. First of all, this grace that redeems us from the penalty of sin, it is unconditional grace. Now what I mean by that is there are no strings attached you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. It's a gift. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift from God. Grace is a concept. I know it's hard for us to believe, and it's hard many times for us to understand the fact, and I've dealt with this for years Folks, for years, even in the ministry, the fact that God would unilaterally, without any preconditions, give something that we do not deserve and we would never deserve. 
Now, I think many people have a poor understanding of grace. I know our world has a poor concept and understanding of grace. Take the business world. Loan institutions, and I don't know, maybe banks do this too. I'm not sure. I know that some loan companies and stuff do this. If you loan, get money from them, and you pay that money back, but say you miss a payment, you're running a little late on a payment, what do they do? They give you what's called a grace period. Maybe five days, maybe ten days, maybe twenty, I don't know. But they call that a grace period. I want you to listen to me, friend. That's not grace, okay? Because if you don't pay it, they're going to tack on those late charges. That's not grace, that's probation. Now let me tell you, grace, grace is the unconditional favor of God to an undeserving sinner. That's true grace. That's real grace. You know, many people, and I know you've heard this over the years, people want to spell salvation in different ways. There are people that spell, spell salvation D-O. They say, well, you know, there's things you got to do if you're going to be saved. You got to join the church. You got to sign a card. You got to be baptized. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do if you're going to be saved. Then there are others, they spell salvation, D-O-N-T. They say, well, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't rob, don't kill, and you'll be saved. But let me tell you, that's false. That's all wrong. Let me tell you how God spells salvation. D-O-N-E. It's done. In God's salvation, friend, you are saved by grace through faith. There's no fine print in the contract. There's no strings attached. You're saved because Jesus has done it all. There are so many people, and I deal with them on a weekly basis. There are so many people who are striving, straining, yearning, burning, folks, trying to earn that grace, trying to find favor with God, when all they have to do is just receive what God's already done. It reminds me of a guy I heard about. Every day to go to work, he had to catch a ferry boat. And he caught it on one side of the river, rode it to the next side of the river. Well, he was always pushing time. This morning, he thought, oh, I'm late, I'm late. The ferry boat's already going to be gone. He topped the hill. The ferry boat was about 15 foot away from the shoreline. He thought, I can catch it, but i got to hurry. So he took off at a dead run down the hill. I mean, running with everything he had. He got to the edge of the pier, and he jumped with all of his might. A mighty leap. And he landed face first on the deck of that ferry boat. Busted his nose, split his lip, shirts tore, pants are ripped. But he got up, and he's so excited, he said, oh, praise God, I made it, I made it. Very boat captain looked at him kind of funny. He said, son, we weren't coming in. We weren't going out. We were coming in. Now, folks, a lot of people think that way about salvation. I got to do all I can do. I got to do all I can do. I got to work for it. I got to do this. I got to be right, live right, do right. And if I do right, maybe one day I'll make it. Friend, listen to me and hear me well. God has brought grace to us in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is surrender to Him, trust Him in faith, and receive that grace. That's salvation. Remember this mathematical formula. Grace of the Savior plus faith of the sinner equals salvation. 
I want you to see this grace that redeems us from the penalty of sin. Folks, it's not only unconditional grace, it is unmerited grace. The best way to understand, I guess, and define grace is to think about two other great words that are used in Scripture. The word justice and the word mercy. Now, justice is God giving you what you deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace, that's God giving you what you don't deserve and can never deserve. Salvation is totally by grace. It's not rooted in the merit of man. It's in the mercy of God. It is not in the goodness of man. It's in the grace of God. You say, why would you say that? Well, because the Bible teaches it throughout Scripture. But let me give you this passage. You got your Bible open to Titus? Look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now listen to this. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now let me say something here. Uh, It's going to sound strange now. If you're one of these folks who maybe you still think that you can work your way to heaven, it's going to sound strange, but I want you to listen to me. You cannot work your way to heaven. The Bible makes that very clear. We just read that. You cannot work your way to heaven, but I'll tell you what, you can work your way to hell. John Wright, the old Texas evangelist, used to say this. If you go to hell, you pay your own way, but if you go to heaven, you go on a free pass. Let me illustrate it to you like this. When a man works an eight-hour day and he receives for his efforts eight hours pay, that's his wage. When a man competes, you know, honestly competes with opponents and he beats them in a fair contest, he receives a trophy. That's a prize. He wins a prize. When a man does uh, receive something in recognition, a good work or, or a superior achievement, that's an award. But when a man cannot earn the wage... And there's no way he can win the prize. And he'll never deserve the award. But he receives all those things anyway. Friend, that's grace. That's grace. God's grace is unconditional. It's unmerited, but it's also unmatched. Now, I call it unmatched grace because of the cost of it. Now, I know you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you said that grace was free. It is free, but it wasn't cheap. Friend, listen to me and listen close. The grace of God doesn't cost you or I anything. But God bankrupt heaven to give that grace to us. You realize God gave His Son for that grace to be given and shown to us. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Let me explain, folks. God will forgive you freely of your sin. But it's not like a business writing off a bad debt or a governor who is given a pardon to a condemned man. Sin is a debt that demands full payment. And God's holiness will not allow Him to write off that sin debt. It demands satisfaction. That is where Jesus comes in. That's why the old song says, I owe the debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. You say, why did He do that? It's called grace. You say, preacher, that is unbelievable. It sure is. That's why it's grace. I want you to see grace redeems us from the penalty of sin, but also, folks, it releases us from the power of sin. Now, salvation not only commences in grace, it continues in grace. Look at verse 12. Look at the first two words of verse 12. Teaching us. 
You know, when a person is saved, when they become a Christian, they're automatically enrolled in God's university of Christian living. Now, let me explain something to you. God's university is different from other universities. You know, normally you need a B.A. to get out of college. Well, you need a B.A. to get in to God's college. You must be born again. And when you're born again and you get enrolled as a freshman into the University of Christian Living, understand, with grace, with grace there's nothing to earn, but there's a whole lot to learn. And now, there's only one professor in God's University of Christian Living. You know who that professor is? It's Dr. Grace. And the first day that school starts, you learn two lessons, and I want you to hear this. Two very valuable lessons. Number one, you learn that God loves you just like you are. Number two, you learn that God loves you so much, He will not leave you just like you are. That makes sense to you? From the first day of class right up to you graduate on into glory, friend. From that first day on, there are three lessons that Dr. Grace is going to teach you as a child of God. Number one, the first lesson Grace teaches is to leave that sinful life. Look at verse 12 again. <clears throat> teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, I do realize there are some and some denominations who believe and teach that, that the doctrine of grace is a very dangerous doctrine. Well, let me explain something to you. I understand what these folks are saying, but it's not true. What they say is, they, they say if you teach a person that they're saved by grace alone, and that they don't have to work, that they don't have to do good deeds to obtain salvation, then what you're doing is telling people, well, you can get saved and live any way that you want to live. Hogwash. That's not what I'm saying, I promise you. And that's not what God's Word teaches. They had this same idea, this same problem in the early church. That's why Jude, in Jude, verse 4, listen to what he says. For certain men have crept in unawares who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That means lawlessness, doing it your own way. And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what Jude is saying is, he's calling anybody who teaches this false doctrine of license, that you can... Be saved by grace and then do anything you want. You can go live any old way. You can live in sin all you want to because you're saved by grace. Jude says whoever teaches that, they are ungodly. And the reason he says that is because the very opposite is true. Friend, grace does not give you a license to live like you want to. But praise God, it gives you the liberty to live like you ought to. I want you to remember, Christian... I want you to get this in your head and in your heart. Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell. Did you catch me? Matthew 1, verse 21 says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. Sin. I never met anybody who's experienced God's grace and met Jesus Christ, and they still live a life of sin and a life of worldliness. I've never met it. They changed. It's going to change you. It's going to teach you. Grace will teach you to leave the sinful life. Grace changes you. It changes your appetite. Because once you've experienced God's grace, you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It'll change your ambitions. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing unto Him. Grace 
God's grace will change the attitudes. Colossians 3, 2. Once you've experienced God's grace, you'll no longer set your affections and your mind on things of this world, but on things above. Grace will change the actions. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, Whatsoever we eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God. Now listen to me. There are two things that are true of a person who has experienced the grace of God. First of all, they cannot live like they used to. It's impossible. You say, that's your opinion. Nope, that's God's Word. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, folks. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You know this verse. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're new when you know Jesus Christ. When you experience God's saving grace. First of all, again, you cannot live like you used to. But the second thing, you experience the grace of God you'll want to live like you ought to. Your want to will change. You probably heard this story. I'm reminded of it. <clears throat> Back during the days of the bloody French Revolution in the city of Paris, a mob broke into the palace and they seized King Louis XVI and his wife, Marie Antoinette. Later on, they, they condemned them to death. They executed them. But after they had seized them, the mob went back in and they grabbed the young prince and they brought him out. They were headed to the guillotine at that moment. And somebody said, wait a minute. Let's don't send him to heaven. That's too good for royalty. Instead, let's make him live in hell right here. They said, what's your idea? The guy said, let's take him to a vile, wicked, wretched woman of the streets that I know. Have her raise him. Have her teach him how to be a reprobate. How to be a degenerate. They said, that's a good idea. That's good for royalty. So they took this little prince to this vile, wicked woman of the street. First thing she did was tear off those royal garments and she made him wear dirty, filthy rags as clothes. Then she tried to get him to use vulgar, obscene language. He wouldn't do it. He refused. He shook his head, shook his head no. She tried to take him to the back alleys of Paris and make him look upon those shameful acts and lustful acts that were taking place. He shut his eyes real tight and refused to look at it. She tried to feed him slop out of the hog pen. That was the last straw. The little prince balled his fist up, stuck his chest out. He said, I will tell you, I was born a prince. I'm a child of the king. And I will live like a child of the king. Christian, that's a good attitude for every one of us who are blood bought and saved by God's grace. We are children of the king. We ought to live like we're children of the King. The grace of God. Folks, it'll change you. It'll teach you to leave that sinful life. But it'll also teach you to live the sanctified life. Verse 12 again. says, We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, grace takes care of every part of our life. Man is threefold part, a threefold uh, being. Okay, there's body, soul, and spirit. So we're told here to live soberly, live righteously, live godly. First, we're to live soberly. That means self-controlled fashion. That deals with the inner person. That means when it comes to temptation, we are to abstain from worldly things that will soil our soul. Then we're told to live righteously. That deals with the body. That deals with the outward actions and life. That means if we're a believer, we're a child of God, we're to act righteous because we are righteous. Christ lives within us. So what we do is simply live out the in-living of Jesus Christ. And then number three, 
We're told to live godly. That deals with our spirit. That deals with the upward life. We are to live the way that God would want us to live. Personally, I'm to live soberly. Socially, I'm to live righteously. Spiritually, I'm to act godly. Now listen to me. There's a, just like there's two sides to every coin, there's two sides to the Christian life. And let me give them to you. They're separation and sanctification. And you're going to find that taught throughout the Bible. If anybody teaches uh, one without the other, they're not teaching the full truth. Separation, sanctification. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 37 and verse 27, Depart from evil, that's separation, and do good, that's sanctification. They go hand in hand together. Grace teaches you to say no to what's wrong and yes to what's right. I want you to notice, again, this grace is to be lived out, Scripture says, in this present world. Christian, listen to me. Grace is never out of step. It's never out of style. God's grace is always sufficient in any age, under any circumstance, to enable you to live the way that you ought to live as a child of the King. God's grace is sufficient for that. Understand, grace not only prepares us, and I've got to told you this before, it not only prepares us for the sweet by and by, but it purifies us for the nasty here and now. So why would you say that? Because that's why Christ died for us. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That means every evil act and lawless deed. And purifying himself a peculiar people. That means a special kind of people. His own special people. Now grace teaches us to leave the sinful life. To live the sanctified life. And what is the result, Christian, if we leave that sinful life, live the sanctified life? Well, look at the last part of verse 14, last few words. It makes us zealous of good works. When we leave the sinful life, live the sanctified life, we will be zealous of good works. That word zealous means boiling or burning hot. Uh, grace, it'll set you on fire, friend, to live right, to do right, to act right. It'll set you on fire to serve God. Grace is given not only so we might be saved, but so we might serve God. Paul makes it clear. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. He said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now listen, I don't work in order to be saved. But because I am saved by grace, I want to work. I want to work. Like the old poem says, I cannot work my soul to save. That work my Lord has done. But I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Grace redeems us from the penalty of sin. It uh, releases us from the power of sin. But look at verse 13. Grace removes us from the presence of sin. This is my dad's favorite verse in this passage. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember before dad died, we talked about his service and I, I preached his uh, going home service. And he said, son, remember, remember, you tell him about our blessed hope. And he was quoting that verse. You tell him about Jesus. He said, those people that are there, they know me or they wouldn't be there. Don't talk about me. You tell them about our blessed Hope. Well, I want to share this blessed hope for just a minute with you. One day, folks, by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to come back and He is going to take me out 
of this world of wickedness. I'm going to be gone from it. The grace of God. Do you realize it's involved in both the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ? Jesus came the first time to redeem me. He's coming the second time to receive me. He came the first time to give me a new heart. He's coming the second time to give me a new home. He came the first time to take away my sin. He's coming the second time to take me away from sin. He came the first time to give me His grace. But He's coming the second time to give me His glory. Blessed hope. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was reading over this verse. and I, I was dwelling on this. And I was just thinking about one day. How beautiful is heaven going to be? You know, I was reading the news yesterday and I got depressed. It's easy to do nowadays, ain't it? I told you before, read the news, then i got to go read the Bible. Because I need something to pick me up. But i got to think about how beautiful heaven is. You know, in heaven there's not going to be any red light districts. There won't be no drug houses. Uh, there's not going to be any back alleys. There'll be no need for barred windows or locks on the doors or security systems. And here's something that really blessed my heart when I thought about this. In heaven, there'll be no politics. Amen? There's not going to be any police because there's going to be no criminals. No courts. Folks, because again, there's no criminals to try. No jail because there's no convicts. Now think about this. All that is simply because of the grace of Almighty God. Now do you know, let me say this. I'm, I'm winding up right here. Stay with me. Do you know what we're going to be talking about with Jesus for all eternity, Christian? We're going to be talking about grace. You say, really? Uh-huh. God going to take us to heaven so according to Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about grace for eternity. God's going to say, let me show you a trophy of my grace. as Jim. He wasn't worth much. Matter of fact, wasn't worth anything. But my grace took Him. My grace saved Him. My grace redeemed Him. My grace made him my child. God's going to be able to brag about grace for eternity. And guess what, Christian? You and I are going to brag about it too. In closing, I want to tell you a true story. And it's one I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's a story that preachers have told for years and years. But it's a wonderful story about God's wonderful, amazing grace. His name was John. His mama died when he was six years old. At the, and his father was a sailor, a very wicked, vile man. At age 11 years old, John became a sailor himself. But as the years went by, he became so vile and wicked that his own father disowned him. And as the years continued to go by, John became so wicked that he became a slave trader. He began to sell human beings like livestock, like cattle. But because of his depraved mind and his wickedness, he himself became a slave. And he was bought and sold. One night, while he was on board a slave ship, sitting on deck with some other slaves, a violent storm just come out of nowhere. And before he knew it, a large wave come across the railing of that ship. And it hit John and knocked him out into the ocean. Now before this time, some folks have been witnessing to John about Jesus Christ. They gave him a book by a guy named Thomas A. Kempis. The title of the book was The Imitation of Christ. And John had begun to read that book and God had begun to work on his heart. But God hadn't softened him enough. He hadn't broke through to him yet. 
Well, that wave hit John and knocked him out into the briny deep. And he knew immediately, I'm going to die. And in a moment's time, in a flash, his life passed before his eyes. And he said, God, help me. And an incredible thing happened. Another wave picked John up and threw him back on board that ship. Well, that's all John had to see. I mean, that convinced him right there at that moment he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became a born-again believer because of the grace of God. Now, that story doesn't end there. Because at the age of 39 years, John Newton was called into the ministry. And he became a tremendously powerful preacher of the gospel. But not only was he a great preacher, but he was also a writer. And he wrote probably what many would, be, many would say to be the all-time favorite hymn of the modern-day church. It goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, the grace of God. Frank, can you think of a more beautiful, a sweeter word in all the Scripture than grace? I'm going to tell you, my prayer is that you have experienced God's grace. You've tasted God's grace. And if you haven't, that you'll taste it today. You say, why do you say that? Well, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Who trusts in Him. Some of you here this morning, you've been trusting for years in yourself, in your good works or your church membership or your baptism certificate or the fact that you went to Sunday school as a kid or the fact that your mom and dad or grandparents were great Christians. You've been trusting in all these things. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. It has nothing to do with you, with me. It has nothing to do with what church you belong to. Some of you today need to do what Jesus said when He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You know what that verse means? Jesus spoke that to people who were trying to earn favor with God, who were trying to work their way into a right relationship with God. Jesus said, It ain't never going to work. Aren't you wore out? Aren't you tired of trying? He says, come to me. I'll give you the rest that you're looking for. Come to me. I'll give you the salvation that you need. Would you bow your heads, please? Just a minute. Brother Jim's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. I'm going to be right down front here. You're here today and you have never experienced the grace of God. Maybe you've been at church all your life. Maybe you have been baptized. Maybe you think, well, I am a pretty good person. Well, being a pretty good person won't get you into heaven, but it will lead you right straight to hell. If you're going to be a pretty good person, you better be a saved pretty good person. The only way that happens is you come and experience and receive the grace of God. This is your opportunity. If you've never done that, quit fooling yourself. Quit lying to yourself. Get off the road headed to hell and get on the road headed to heaven. Right now, it's a free gift God offers. Why don't you accept it? Father, I pray for those that need to make a decision that they would do so today. I pray that they would see the urgency in it and would understand. Understand, Father, the truth of Scripture that you will not always strive with a man. You'll love, you'll woo, you'll bring them close to you. But, Father, you allow them to make the decision. I pray they'd understand today that they need 
to receive your grace. And then I pray for those who have. Father, I pray they would see the necessity of leaving that sinful life, living that sanctified life, and then, Father, loving that servant life. Father, thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, folks.